brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to Atlanta Baseball Talk your weekly podcast for all things Atlanta Braves. Welcome to the show. Today is Sunday, October 9th, 2011, and my name is Steve. The playoffs are rolling on, but we're not done digging through the ashes of the Braves' 2011 season. And we're doing it so big, we had to split the show into two parts. Part one is our interview with David O'Brien of the AJC, And part two, our interview with Chris Domino of 790 The Zone. But first, some quick programming notes. No scheduled shows coming up for the next few weeks. But to ensure you don't miss anything going on with the show, follow us on Twitter at ATL Baseball Talk and on Facebook. And as always, at AtlantaBaseballTalk.com. Also, as it's the end of the season, I want to thank, of course, my two co-hosts, Hammy and Kurt, our producer Mike, our designer, the other Mike, Friends of the show, Ballpark, Frank, and Scott, and most of all, all of our listeners, our message board group, Twitter followers, and our Facebook fans. All right, let's get to it with part one. We are very happy to be joined by David O'Brien, the Braves beat writer for the AJC, and the man behind the Braves Man in Black blog at AJC.com. David, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. So, David, look, we got to get this out of the way first. Have you had any funny peanut butter cups lately? <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good answer, good answer. David, do you think that Jordan Schaefer will, you know, play Major League Baseball again? I think he will. I mean, as long as he's, uh, as long as the team believes he can contribute, they're not going to not uh, give him an opportunity because of a marijuana arrest and, and it's a class uh, D or whatever felony somebody told me on the blog. I mean, like as low as you can get, I guess, to be still a felony. So he's not going to do prison time or anything, um, uh, from what I understand. So, you know, um, he was playing pretty well, I guess. You know, he's playing okay when he uh, when he was with the Astros. So this is not like a a second HGH uh, conviction or that kind of thing. So it's kind of an off the field thing. And if they if they deem him worth the risk. I mean, you know, he didn't get involved in an accident or anything. I'm not, and I'm not dismissing or downplaying it or saying it's right or wrong or whatever. I'm just saying the reality is if a team thinks he can play, they're certainly not going to uh, not, there are certainly plenty of teams that would give him an opportunity if they think he can help them on the field. That's the bottom line. Sure. There, there are guys playing for these teams with a hell of a lot worse uh, convictions or uh, charges or track records, uh, you know, in their past guys who beat their wives, guys who, you know, you know that as well as I do. Sure. A lot worse than, than this offense. So, but he's got to perform. I mean, if they, that's all it comes down to. If he can perform, he's going to have a job. If he, if he stays, you know, injured or, or struggles, he's not going to, he's not good enough to keep getting chances. But I think he'll get at least one more. I mean, the Astros traded for him, so if they just dump him because of this, what good does that do them? I mean, unless they, you know, unless their owner or who their new owner or their 
new president or GM or whoever is so strongly against, you know, the message that it sends that he decides it's not worth whatever contributions he may make, may make on the field. But they traded Bourne, and this was the primary piece they got for him. So to dump him is just going to cut off the nose, spite your face type thing, if they think he can contribute. Yeah. Well, David, let's uh, let's talk about another crime, which was the end of the Braves' season. Um, <laughs> a heinous crime that yes, it was. a felonious assault on their fans. Um, so yeah, I guess they I guess they didn't get that forty-two dollars service charge back, from what I understand, either. Man, that would upset me. But hey, you know, part of so, doing business, I guess. So you're around this clubhouse. Um, can you give us an idea about what the vibe is as this wild card lead is imploding? Well, to be honest with you, this is the clubhouse that is so even keeled that uh, just like when they're on a seven-game winning streak, I think they had a seven-game winning streak this year. I know they had a six-game. Uh, but it, it, just like when they're at their best, when they were going 44 and 24 over a long stretch and and uh, building a ten and a half game wild card lead, you couldn't tell in the clubhouse because they weren't, you know, playing music and dancing and talking smack and all that. So on the other hand, when they were when they were imploding down the stretch, you also didn't see a lot of signs of of uh, of uh, anything less than their usual. You know, we take it one day at a time. We bounce back. Blah blah blah. I mean, almost to the point where you think it might have suited them to show a little more emotion at times, but. I honestly, until the last three or four days, there was not a sense of, now we are really in trouble um, with this team at all. I mean, there just wasn't. And I'd be lying if I if I acted like I saw something other than what I saw every day. And I was in there every day on the road at the end, you know, seven-game road trip. You just did not see. You heard the tone immediately after losses when we'd go ask, like the game in Florida when Chipper lost the ball in the lights. You heard a tone of, like, kind of resignation or, like, we really are not getting any breaks and waiting for the other shoe to drop, that kind of thing. But that was it. I mean, by the time you get back in the next day, you didn't see or hear that. So, you know, they were doing the same things the next day when you walked in playing cards, talking trash to each other, messing around. You heard, you're seeing the same things that you saw every day. So there really wasn't this pall that people might anticipate was there. Uh, and until the last few days, there really wasn't even a great sense of, uh, this really might happen. Yeah, because they certainly seem tight on the field, and I don't. I mean, as yeah. you say, they 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 didn't they didn't keep that carry that over to the clubhouse, but just watch. Yeah, them. on the field, you're right. They did, and I think it was more because it seemed like every night they got behind. You know, they got behind early, and if they didn't get behind, they got ahead early, and then they immediately coughed up the lead. You know, and I think that tends to. Yeah, I think that tends to get guys. There is no relaxation out there because they they're they're like, oh, this is happening again. So you saw it on the field, definitely. I did not see a relaxed team playing at its best on the field in the, in the last month, especially hitting. I mean, at the plate, they were just a disaster as far as getting guys in, hitting situational hitting. Um, but you know, until that last uh, road trip, one of the last games on that trip, they had gone like. I couldn't believe when I looked it up because Freddie had mentioned they hadn't made an error. And I looked it up. They hadn't made an error in like 15 games other than the one that that uh, Ventures made. They had not had a position player make an error in 15 or 18 games. It was the longest they'd gone all, all year without an error. And that was in the right in the throes of this meltdown. So. Yeah. 
It's interesting. Tightness wasn't everywhere. So, David, what's your take, getting to the end of the season now, what's your take on why Freddie would have made that pronouncement about the entire coaching staff coming back when he clearly had not met with Frank Wren yet? Well, I'm going to take it on face value, what Frank said, that he talked to Freddie before the last game of the season and asked him about his coaches, did he want him back. Frank insisted that Freddie said, Yes, but with reservations. In other words, they wanted to talk it out and make sure, you know, that some things were going to get corrected. That's what he said. Now, we met with Freddie the next morning, the day after, the, you know, literally 12 hours after the loss. I asked him the question about his coaches. It's like the first question that was asked. I asked him, what about your coaches? Are they all going to be, are, are, are there going to be any changes? And I figured he'd say, we haven't done, we haven't done that yet. We haven't got to that yet. It's just 12 hours later. I was shocked when he said, they're all coming back. I asked them all back. They all accepted. And then he went on at length about how, you know, he didn't want his coaches looking over their shoulders and how, and I said, well, I just thought maybe the hitting coach might end up getting fired because of the way, you know, the performance, especially in the second half and situationally. And he said, you know, if I didn't think LP was organized or that he worked hard and all that, but he does, but he does. And, uh, you know, so they're coming back. And, and, and then, um, you know, a day later it's in the papers and everybody's talking about it. And, and I, I don't know that, that, you know, Frank insists that it was not a, a reaction to the reaction of the fans because clearly there were a lot of people upset that while Boston is talking about hiring uh, or firing its manager of, with two World Series rings, you know, a very accomplished manager, Francona, while they're talking about the, while that's in the works there, the Braves are coming out and saying there aren't going to be any changes. And, and, you know, the fan base in those situations, whether it's, uh, justified, fair or not, usually somebody has to be held accountable because you can't fire all the players because they have guaranteed contracts and they carry the freight and all that, and it's a lot easier to fire a uh, coach making, you know, half a million dollars or whatever it is, um, um, and, and, and especially a coach who really doesn't have a track record as a hitting coach. And, I mean, frankly, you couldn't look at what the team did this year and point to two guys who, who, who had done better than they'd done in the past. I mean, there were... You know, it was really much across the board that guys had had been the same or less than they had in the past. So uh, there was every there was it would have been fully justified to come right out and say he's been fired. I, nobody could have argued that you know it wasn't justified, whether it was scapegoating or not. It was all there were reasons to fire him. So uh, I think when Frank saw the reaction, heard the reaction, he insisted wasn't that it, that had nothing to do with it. But I just have a feeling, you know, they said we need to at least think about this. But he says that that afternoon. After Freddie told us that, that they had their meeting with Parrish, and Frank says that, you know, the, 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 the doubts that he had or the concerns that he had about the direction that the team was going offensively were underscored or those concerns were amplified, as in his words, by uh, Larry's answers when he asked him about what's he going to do. Uh, he asked, said he asked him about a couple of players, didn't say who those were, I'm going to read between the lines, and I'm sure one of them was, what are you going to do with Jason Hayward next year to get him out to, to make sure this does, isn't repeated? And I'm just, again, reading between the lines, because Frank said, did not name any player or anything. And he said that he was not satisfied with those answers, that, that, that there was not a clear plan that, was, that, that he thought was, uh, was suitable. And that that's when he came out of that meeting thinking even more that they were going to have to make a change, and that later that day he decided and, and he talked, and he called John Sherholtz that night. He said, or texted him and told him what he was thinking. And the next morning, he said he got up and called Freddie and said, "You know, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, here's what I'm going to do." And he said, if Freddie had really strongly uh, 
um, argued if Freddie had, had insisted, you know, that he did not want to do that, that Frank said he probably would have at least, you know, considered Freddie's opinion on the matter, but that he did not do that. Freddie did not have that kind of reaction. So at that point, they made the decision. All right, so David, staying with, with Jason Hayward, in the Q&A that Frank Wren did last week, he seemed quick yep. to point to injuries when referring to McCann and Prado and the struggles they had. But when yep. Hayward's struggles came up, Frank did not explain them away in that fashion. Do you think it's fair to say that whether it's Wren's comments last week or Chipper's comments earlier in the year when, when Hayward wasn't playing, that Hayward's not getting the same benefit of the doubt that some other Braves are getting? I, I You know, frankly, I am so sick of this line of, of, of questioning. that I, and, and the reason I say that is because, I mean, I, I, think, I think the world of Jason. I think he's a great guy. I really do. Yeah. But I, I get so tired of, I, I understand why he has a legion of fans because he's that type of player that we we made him up to be you know what he what he appeared to be right away a superstar in the making so you're going to have a lot of fans like Chipper did when he came into major leagues but I get tired of people not being willing to judge the player the ones who are squarely in his corner regardless of what happens I get tired of people not being willing to judge anything other than every reaction to him, everything that's written poorly, that's written that's not 100% positive about the guy, everything that's, that, that's written questioning the performance, that's written a negative stat about what he's done, uh, a reasoning for, that they're giving us for why Constanza's playing, um, a veteran player calling him out, as people say, when all Chipper really was doing was giving him advice and saying, this is what is happening, is being said, you know, trying to get through to the guy. That being construed as, it's so unfair that it's constant. It is constant when it comes to Jason Hayward. There can be no questioning this player without people saying that everyone has an agenda. Why would the Braves do that when they have more invested in this guy they have more hopes for this guy. They have built they, the advertising campaigns around this guy. They have no reason in the world to wish anything but great from this guy. A guy like Martin Prado, they don't have a lot invested in Martin Prado. They know he's not going to be a superstar. They know Martin Prado. Martin Prado could be traded this winter. Yeah. But people, how do they Constanza? They know he's a quad A player. They know. They said from day one. Freddie said, we're going to ride this guy. We're going to play him while he's hot. It made all the sense in the world to play him while he's hot. But I got beat up every day, just like Mark Bowman did, just like anybody that did, that suggested that they play this guy while he's hitting 400, which he did for three weeks. And all I heard was, hot hand fallacy from all the, from all the sabermetrician guys. You can't, you can't predict that that's going to be sustainable. Well, no, nobody knows. Everybody knows it's not sustainable. But he did it for three and a half weeks and helped the team win two-thirds of its games in that span. But these people would have insisted you should have just kept running Jason out there when he was hitting 180 in that span just because. Because he's got the chance to be a superstar for years and years and years. So you just have to keep playing regardless. And I just don't understand it. 
Well, we ran I into really the same, don't understand it. Yeah, we ran into the same stuff with our show because we had a we had a segment called the Wayward Hayward, and it just really focused on his ineptitude, frankly. And um, you know, we talked about running his stands out there. We talked about the fact that Jason Hayward should be benched; that he was not contributing anything. In fact, he was a a detriment to the team at times this season. And we caught the same flack for. I just don't understand it. I mean, it's so polarizing. It's like Frank Coor, you know, uh, at the end. People were, were upset with Frank Coor, his reaction to like being sent to the minors and all that. So by the end, they ran him out of town. But for the longest period of time, Frank Coor was kind of the opposite. He wanted to play every day when he should have been sitting. He, he played with this messed-up ankle. Bobby kept, would play him as long as he wanted to keep playing, and he couldn't even run. And he was out there playing every day. But people were so down on, on Frank Coor for playing every day, you know, he should be out of the lineup. He's a detriment to the team and everything. And by the end, everybody ran him out of town. And it, now it's like he, people are it, people are hot or cold. Uh, there's a, there is a segment, a growing segment, of people that think Hayward should be sent down, should be sent to AAA, should be benched, blah, blah, blah. But there is a vast majority of people that still think, I mean, that the guy should play every day as long as he wants to play and can play and says his shoulder is okay to play, regardless of what he's doing. And I, and I just, it, it's like all that the rules, the way they judge other players, which is based on performance, do not apply to him. And when, we, when, we, when I point out that he's slugged under 400 for 200 and some games since his first 46 games when he was absolutely phenomenal, I'll get 15 people on, the, on Twitter within, within 10 minutes tell me, that's a... Uh, that's what do they say? That that's a uh, subjective. Why did you pick that arbitrary date? And all this, I'm like, I'm trying to show you that after those first 46 games when he's phenomenal, he has slugged 390 since then in over 200 games. And I'll say, yes, but there were there were only three months where he wasn't good, and his on base percentage is still three. You know, it's just on and on and on. And I and like I said, I really like the guy, and I think he's going. I think he has tremendous potential. But I just think that people get so caught up and it's going to scar him for the future. He's like 22 years old, and he's, he was having a terrible season. And you had a guy came up that was lightning in a bottle, and nobody thought he was going to last forever. But why in the world would you not play this guy when he's hitting 400? He's hitting home runs like he never hit in the minors. He's stealing bases without getting caught. And people would have you bench him in the middle of this just to put Edward back in there just because this might be scarring Jason sitting on the bench. Yeah, I, anyway, you know, getting, yeah. getting, back, getting back to your question about Frank and, and last week. Yeah, Frank, that we you know we specifically asked Frank about Prado and McCann and people other. There were four of us in there. We asked specifically because we want to get to the bottom of it. McCann has a track record of seven years. He's an All Star six times. All right, yeah. you know, a Silver Slugger. So we're asking. This is the first time we've ever seen McCann struggle like this. So we asked Frank directly, do you think that he was playing with a sore oblique? Because he never said, was he protecting the oblique? Because McCann never said it. McCann never used it as an excuse, never even indicated that he was sore at all. He kept saying, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know? So we asked Frank, do you think he was playing, he was protecting the oblique, and do you think he came back too fast, and, and blah, blah, blah. That's what we asked him, and he answered. He didn't go through the roster and go, Martin Prado, I think, May have been may have been affected by the staff infection. Brian McCann, we have never seen him struggle like this, so he may have been affected by the oblique. I just don't know. Jason Hayward, there are no health issues. That's not what happened. We asked him specifically about 
McCann, and then we and then Prado was asked specifically about Prado because Prado had a very unusual situation. He had a staph infection. He was on his back for three weeks. He couldn't he couldn't run around and work out and stay in shape while he was DF. He was literally on his back for nearly three weeks. So we asked how much of his because he was bad when he came back. Martin Prado was not the same player. He was not a great play. He was not a good player after he came back from staff. So we asked, do you think Martin Prada was affected by the staff when he came back? Well, Frank answered honestly, which is, how's he supposed to know? I mean, he, he, he said he wasn't the same player when he came back, so he might have been affected. But he, he did not go, Frank, to Frank's credit, he did not say, I really think he was affected by the staff and I really think he'll be fine next year when he comes back. He didn't say that. Right. And he did not say, Brian McCann is clearly not the hitter we saw down the stretch. Clearly, he was playing with a sore oblique. Not what he said. He said, I just have to think that Brian McCann, we've never seen him struggle like that, so I don't know about his oblique. But, I, you know, he indicated that maybe he, maybe he was, but that he, had no, that he has no way of knowing that because Brian didn't tell him. So I, I don't have a problem with what Frank said. And then Frank wanted to send a message, obviously, about Hayward because, like I said in the story, he said he's not gonna, it's not a given. He's going to be our right fielder next year. He's going to have to come in, keep making steps. And when he said he made progress this year, I heard somebody on the radio interpret that as, what are you talking about he made progress this year? He, he took, he hit 50 points less or whatever. And that's not what he's talking about. He was talking about he made progress after they had him working in the cages on some adjustments down the stretch. He made progress at the end of the season is what he was talking about. Right, his September was much better right. than the rest of his season. Yeah, yeah, and he said he's got to continue to make that progress to keep to, had to win the right field job. Do you and think, I think that he was? I think he was sending a message. I do. I think he was letting him know. Do you think it all plays out with what Hayward does in spring training? Yeah, I think if Jason comes in and has a good spring and looks good and looks like he's not the shoulders not so bothering. I mean, it's not like they're going to break. You know, like they're ready to bench him. I mean, like I said, they have everything invested in this guy and they want him to succeed. I mean, they want to build their team around him. So, um, but I think Frank's. Frank, what he's saying is just kind of setting the table, not just not just uh, sending a message to Jason, but to everyone and letting everyone know. You know, letting everyone know the fans. Some are upset. You know that he played in the second, that he played when as long as he did, and even Freddie questioned what well, maybe he shouldn't have played him as long as he did. Well, I think Frank's sending a message not just to Jason but to the fans that look, no one is coming in next spring guaranteed of a job who's a young player without a track record, he's going to have to, you know, win the job or he's going to have to, to continue making strides. We're not just going to give it to him again and let him run out there all year and hope that he uh, bounces back. That's all he's saying. And, I, and and he also said that outfield and shortstop are their needs this winter. So does that mean he gets a corner outfield and and and, uh, and, and has him compete for right field? I don't know. I, I took him I, – I would, I would guess it's more to get a guy who can play right and left and that – Martin Prado could move, you know, to either utility job or, you know, I had an agent the other day ask me, did uh, have I heard anything about Prado being traded? Because he had heard some rumblings. I don't know if there's anything to that whatsoever. It's so early right now, but you know, they're not. They're certainly not going to trade Jason Hayward. You know, I mean, they just can't do that. I mean, when when Buster wrote that, I, I just had, I and, and I think Buster's great. Buster's got great sources and all that. But I mean, and maybe some somebody in did say that they're questioning Jason and whether they can count on him. I don't doubt that at all. But they're not trading Jason Hayward this winter. You cannot do that for so many reasons. The first being he's 22 years old, 
And what if he bounces back next year and then picks up right where he left off a year ago and becomes the player they, they've, they've said all along that he can be? What if he becomes for the next 10 years a 30 to 35 home run guy with a 390, 400 on base percentage? In other words, this is a future Hall of Fame potential type guy. Now, maybe he didn't pan out, but what if he does do that and you traded him after his second season? It would be nothing. You have never made a trade. Not many teams have ever made a trade as bad as that one that would bite them in the butt for as long as that one would. So that's not going to happen. Sure. And, and, if, and on top of everything else, he's, he's dirt cheap right now, too. Exactly. I mean, and his trade value right now is not what it would be, you know? If he just bounces back and has a good year, I mean... I mean, not that they're even looking to trade him, but what you wouldn't trade him right now coming off the season that he did when there are some questions about him, his health or, you know, his, his, mental, his toughness or whatever. You would, you, would, you would wait for him to, you know, to, to bounce back and have, you know, you know he's not going to have a year next year as bad as this one. I mean, there's no, there's just, I just don't see how that could even happen. Right. And I guess there's no chance that Prado's moving to short. No, you know, Prado, that's his worst position defensively. He's a better third baseman, and he's a better second baseman. And I think he's probably a better left fielder than he is shortstop. He's just not a good shortstop. He doesn't have that kind of range. Right. He's not that type of athlete, you know, that type of player. And a shortstop is a, you know, a distinct position. And while there are plenty of guys that can play that and other positions, he's, not more of a sh- he's more of a third baseman, second baseman type guy than he is a shortstop. And I just can't see them going from Alex Gonzalez, who's one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball, too a guy who would be a below-average guy probably. I, I, it would be nice if he could play it like he can second and third, but he doesn't. So, And I don't think it's not something you could just pick up either, you know? Sure. Um, well, do, moving on to another disappointing player, um, it, maybe it was just to placate the fans, um, but Frank Wren made the comments about Derek Lowe not being part of the rotation. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a reason why he would make that that? comment now i mean it's it seems like that might diminish any sort of trade value that and not that he has much anyway but <laughs> even more so that there's desperation to and maybe it's out there obviously from last year that they're desperate to move Derek Lowe. but um is there a reason why he would have made that comment now well frank's a very smart guy and he's shrewd so i'm sure he had his reasons and that you know I think placating the fans, it certainly, it certainly helps because otherwise, I mean, gosh, you probably saw the, the responses on, you know, people, I'm sure they, they, told, they told you, but they, on radio, on uh, the blog, on Twitter, you know, people just, why is Lowe still in there? I cannot believe we're running him out there still, you know, the last week of the season. So what, after, after, that, uh, after that meltdown, or that September collapse, what does it say if you don't if you if you don't say anything about low next year and people just assume he's going to be in the rotation next year when you've got all these young guys? So I think while it while it could placate the fans to a degree, it also tells your young pitchers that hey, that's a spot that's open. You know, these young all these young arms they've got, they don't want them looking at that and assuming that you know all five spots in that starting rotation are already filled with Hudson, Beachy, Low, uh, Jurgens, and Hanson. You know. I mean, you know, if you put two and two together, you know Hanson and Jurgens have diminished trade value right now because of concerns over their injuries. So <laughs> Hudson, you're not going to trade, obviously. So that's, that's three of the spots right there. So if you want your young pitchers thinking they got a chance to come in, you know, to work out this winter, come in spring and compete, then, you know, it, it, there, there's one spot right there. He just said, I don't 
see him in our – he's being honest. He doesn't see him in the starting rotation next year. So as far as diminishing any trade value, it's not going to do a thing because those teams have seen him. I mean, that, that doesn't do anything. He has no trade value right now unless the Braves eat a substantial portion of the salary. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, and it, you know, when – in our heads, when we think substantial portion, uh-huh. we're thinking the Braves would be paying like $12 million of the 15. Is that even realistic or no? I don't think it would have to be that high. You don't? If it is, I don't think they would do that. They've never done anything even remotely close to that. I mean, they've never had a situation like this either. So, I right. mean, I, you know, and Frank, has, and Frank has shown the willingness to do things that, that, that are different than what John Charles did in the past because these are different teams, different times, and, and this is a big contract. They've never had a guy fall on his face, you know, that's making that kind of money, uh, you know, as, as much as Derek did this year. And and uh, so I think they would eat more than they ever have before. But $12 million out of 15 I, I can't see that. And, and and I don't know that they'd have to. I, You know, I, your hope is he goes to spring, he's healthy, and that's never been a problem in the past, really. That he, that he starts out, he has a few good starts to begin with, and this is just the best-case scenario. The Yankees, the White Sox, the Mets, somebody with money, and there are plenty of teams with money, has a, has a need during spring training for a starter the way the Braves did. If you remember about four years ago when the Braves lost a couple starters in spring when Hampton got hurt and they ended up bringing that Redmond out of his, literally out of his basement in Oklahoma. He was throwing in a, in a basement uh, mound that he had put up. Yeah. They brought him, they hauled him out of mothballs and gave him, a, and here he is starting for them all of a sudden. So, um, in that scenario, a team with a lot of money, Red Derek Lowe becomes a viable option. So, if all of a sudden you could say, yeah, you can have him, but you pay half his salary and we'll pay half of it. So maybe, you know, the team's willing to pay him $7.5 to come in and, and uh, you know, even, even in his diminished state, he still eats, you know, 100 and 85, 190 innings, and that's worth something. Uh, you know, and he had his spurts this year where he looked okay. I mean, it was a terrible season, no doubt. But uh, if he's healthy and he makes adjustments and he has a decent spring and somebody has a need all of a sudden, and teams do strange things in the spring when they're desperate, then uh, much more so than, than in the winter when they have a lot of time and, and they can carefully plot out these things and make these grand plans. Well, all of a sudden you get an injury or two in the spring, and that's out the window. Yeah. So, so David, you, you touched on the injury concerns with Hanson and J.J., and let's end on this. Given those injury concerns, but given the wealth of pitching, do you think both Hanson and J.J. are on the team opening day 2012? I think they have to be. I mean, they, they, in the second half, they both ended the season on the DL, and, and what team is going to trade for a guy when there's concerns about J.J.'s knee two years in a row has, has put him on the DL at the end of the season? Two years in a row, he would have missed the. He, he probably would have come back and started the division series just because they were so desperate that they had decided he was going to. And he had a real good instructional league start, which they made sure that they they got out there that hey, he was the old JJ in his instructional league start the day after the season ended. Uh, you know, and I think that was not just coincidence that they let that be known. But um, I, I don't see that you would get. Uh, they still have trade value, obviously, because they're so young and, 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 and talented, and neither one of them's having major surgery. But nothing like the trade value they'd have if they came out and had a good start. If Jerson's had a start anywhere even close to what he did this year, the first half, or Hampton, like he did in the first half. They, they were two of the best five National League pitchers in the first half. I mean, Jerson's was right there with Halliday, you know, yeah. to start in the All-Star game. 
So, so, so it becomes more likely at the trade deadline next year if they have good starts. Yeah, I think next year with the young pitchers you have, and now given J.J.'s particularly his track record, I don't think you'd have one fan upset that this year, in hindsight, man, you could have traded Jurgens and gotten a lot for him at the All-Star break. But no general manager is going to do that. You know right. what I mean? Right. He was a Cy Young candidate at the All-Star break. If you'd have traded your best pitcher and he just continued doing that for the rest of the year, then you missed the playoffs. I mean, who in the world? Frank would have never heard the end of that. So it was kind of a catch-22 there. And uh, But next year, if the same thing happened and he was off to a good start, I don't think one fan would blame them if they traded Jurgens, particularly with all the young starters they have now coming up and bubbling beneath the surface. And some of them have already shown, obviously, that they can pitch in the majors. And, uh, and, and people know that, you know, as a, as a Boris client, Jurgens is going to be really hard to sign long-term. Uh, you, you're not going to sign both of those guys long-term if you can right. sign either one of them. So. Right, and, and, uh, and you've got the one actual bright spot from the last week of the season in Medlin as well. Yeah, that was a big spot, too. I mean, a big bright spot. He, he looked really good. I mean, he came in that one, you know, the last night and pitched. It was only his second appearance after 13 months off, and he got four big outs and looked really good. Uh, you know, he looked and he threw only seven pitches in his one inning in Washington in his first game back. So that's a lot. That's a guy with a lot of versatility uh, uh, who can get righties and lefties out. And if his changeups back, then uh, you know he's a, he's a real good guy for your pen or for your rotation if you uh, if you have an injury or two and need a starter. So we'll, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. But uh, just the last thing you were talking about, low and. You know, the other scenario this winter, it, it, a possible way you could trade him, is if you swap bad contracts with somebody or swap, you know, I was talking to somebody on Twitter today, Carlos Lee, for instance, you know. He, while he's a guy you would never trade for with his $18 million salary next year, he's looking at the last year of his deal. So what if Houston were, you know, they needed a pitcher much more than they needed Carlos Lee, you know. Derek is a ground ball guy. Yeah, and that is the kind of pitcher you want in that place. So you know, maybe you swap bad contracts, and Houston throws in another couple million to help pay the difference. Or would you rather have Derek Lowe for fifteen million who, and clogging up a spot in your rotation, or or even in your bullpen? Because I mean, we have no idea if he's even a viable guy for a bullpen anymore. He doesn't have the stuff that he did when he was a closer, obviously. Or would you rather have Carlos Lee, who actually bounced back and had a pretty decent this year. year this year. Nothing like an $18 million player. He's not a 330-100 guy, 400 OVP, but he had like a 350-some OVP, hit 20-some homers, I think, had drove in plenty of runs and hit for a decent average. So I don't know. If something like that came up, maybe maybe you do it. Yeah, I think it would be addition by subtraction for sure. Yeah, I do too. I mean, if you need a left hand, would you rather have Carlos Lee in left field or Prado? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can move Prado to super utility guy because that's their other need, shortstop, outfield, and, and utility infielder. Right, and with Chipper's days off and all that, certainly exactly. a need. Exactly. So, I mean, there's, there's ways that – and Frank is really good, as we've seen, at, at the machinations of uh, moving things around and making them work. It didn't work this year, but it was in place, and we thought it was going to work, and it should have worked. But so many guys had bad seasons at the plate that uh, – it kind of conspired to bring them down, and then the injuries they had to the pitchers. It was a perfect storm. It really was, you know. Those young guys, to their credit, they all they all answered the bell, and they all pitched pretty well down the stretch when they were thrust in all these starts and big games, but they were going like five innings every night, whether that was because they couldn't go further or Freddie didn't trust them to go further, but they were throwing about 90 to 100 pitches in five innings, and they were getting pulled, and 
that just contributed even more to an already worn out bullpen. So it was just a, a lot of things kind of came together in the worst possible way for the for the Bravos this year. David, can I, I'm sorry. One, uh, this it really is the last thing, and it, just real quick. Do you get the sense? Um, I know Jeff Schultz wrote about it that this is kind of a different end of this season. I mean, we obviously being a Braves fan uh-huh. for a long time, there's been a lot of heartbreak, but it seems like a lot of the fans are really angry. That uh-huh. this is there's a lot more um, anger pointed toward the Braves as a result of this collapse. Do you get any sense? Um, obviously, from your your work with the AJC, that it, how this is going to linger, what the lingering effect of this collapse is going to be for the Braves and for their fans. Well, I think he was right in that in that uh, you know they allowed themselves a lot of people, especially some people that maybe weren't long term diehard fans, kind of jumped on board in the last couple of years, got excited by the team and the strides they made and. And, uh, you know, and they believe that they missed the playoffs the previous year or they got to the playoffs the previous year and played San Francisco in four one-run games with an injury-depleted uh, team and that there was every reason to believe that they could come back this year and do a lot better with a healthy team. Well, then all the same things started happening. And, and uh, they, they kind of allowed themselves to, to – the fans did – allowed themselves to believe that this team was going to be different, and then they let them down. And, uh, and – they watched them night after night when it counted most, you know, failing to do some simple things uh, that good teams do, like advance runners and drive them in when their bases are loaded with none out and those kind of things. And, yeah, I think there is some anger, disappointment, frustration. Sure, there is a big segment of Braves fans that are going to stick by them pretty much regardless of what happens and that are willing to, you know, just kind of say it's Freddie's first year. Uh, let's see what happens next year. But I did get a little bit of a sense, different sense than, than in the previous years, and because uh, there's more indecision. I mean, you know, Freddie's not Bobby. He doesn't have the the, the 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 as much as there were plenty of people that thought Bobby was passed due to leave when he did. There were still a lot of people that knew that Bobby, at least year to year, was going to have this team in contention regardless, and and that you know that he was going to be a steady hand at the ship and all that. And they haven't really seen enough of Freddie to know that, to be confident that that's the case and that this team is in great hands like it was with Bobby. At yeah, least I think that's the way some books see it. Exactly. I mean, it's something we said. We, we, we were certainly critical of Bobby at times, but uh-huh. now that he's gone, yeah. we realized there was a sense of trust you got yep. with Bobby, and we don't know that we trust Freddie. Yeah, and, I, and, and rightfully so, because these – the fans, the average, everyone, everyone with the exception of those that, of us that are around him every day, they have no reason to, to believe that he's cutting the, in, the, in the cloth of Bobby, that he can fill Bobby's shoes. I mean, I've seen enough of Freddie to know that he's a good baseball man, and I think he's got a pretty good relationship with uh, the players for the most part. Um, but it still remains to be seen, and Bobby just had such a long track record and just carried so much respect in the clubhouse and with opposing teams and free agents and all that kind of thing. And uh, that's, that's something Freddie's got to earn. And, and uh, I, I think the fans are, are, are I think that's a, a, a rational response. I don't think they're out of, they're out of, uh, they're out of line in, in being disappointed or even angry with the way things went. They allowed themselves to, to get excited. They invested a lot of time. I mean, baseball's not like football. You're not out there on, on, for three, four hours on Sunday or, or at home with your feet up for three, four hours on Sunday watching their team. When you invest and you're a fan of a baseball team, there's a lot of people that put a chunk of their day every day for basically six months or more, if you count spring training, 
into the team. I mean, so so that so when the team falls short and loses in 13 innings on the last night, and, and, and it caps a epic collapse, it's not as easy to get over as it is in other sports. I really believe that. I think there's so much more involvement, but with with your hardcore fans in baseball than there are in any other sport. It's just different, you know. And they invest so much of their time every day. So I don't, I don't, I don't uh, think that people. I don't blame people at all for being disappointed or angry. I, you know, they put in. Uh, some of us spend also spend a lot of money if they go to the games. I mean, if you go to half the games, you're spending a whole lot of money and time. So, you know, that's a big chunk of uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, investment in time and money that people put in the team. Expect the best effort. And while the, while I do not doubt that the team tried hard, and I don't question their heart or anything that, that a lot of fans do on, online, I, that that I, is is to me is not even in question. They 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 tried. They played their butts off. They played hard. They had plenty of heart. That wasn't it. But the fans can be upset that they couldn't do the simple things to execute and win ball games. I understand that. Yeah. All right, David, look, as always, great, great stuff. Wonderful to get your insight. Thanks for your time, and, uh, you know, we look forward to talking to you next time. All right, man. We'll talk to you. All right. Take care, David. All right, folks, that's the end of Part 1. Go to our website at AtlantaBaseballTalk.com or iTunes to find Part 2, which is our interview with Chris Domino of 790 The Zone. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and go Braves! Thanks for listening to Atlanta Baseball Talk, your weekly podcast for all things Atlanta Braves. To find new shows, to post in our forum, or to send a comment, please visit us at atlantabaseballtalk.com. Had to admit the problem, it's a hard thing to admit. Had to get on the program, it ain't an easy road when you quit. Had to make peace with my enemies, accept the power greater than my Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.